John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Last week, we asked the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This will be the second installment or part two of who is Jesus? And I'll repeat a little bit of what I said last week. You know me, I don't like to hover too much in review. My heart and prayer is that you're here. And if if you miss church, if you're sick or if you have to work and you can't be a part of service, that you go back on YouTube or Facebook or go to the archives on the website and that you listen, that you participate in the service even after it's taken place, uh, it's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. You need preaching. I didn't say you need Winston. I said you need preaching. You need the Word of God preached to you. I need preaching. This morning at 4.45 a.m., I was listening to preaching. I need preaching. We all need to be preached to from the Word of God. And if you miss a service, please make sure you go back and listen because so much of what God's doing, especially in the heart of our church, it's, it's a pattern here that we're building. It's a foundation that we're building on And my heart is that you're encouraged and that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Before we get back into John 1, let me quickly review a little bit of last week and what we are asking ourselves, this question, who is Jesus, and how we are demanding of ourselves that we answer that question. There are so many opinions, almost every major religion, all false religions, almost all of them somehow make a place for the person Jesus Christ to be incorrectly inserted into their thought or their theology. There is a place for Christ in Islam. There's a place for the teachings of Christ as a good man in even Buddhism. There is a place for Christ in, any, in many Far Eastern religions. There are many uh, people who claim that there is no God, there is no uh, heaven, there is no hell, but that the teachings of this man seem to be inherently good And that if you follow the teachings of Jesus, well, it's just a good thing to practice. You can turn over a new leaf and you can be sweet, you can be kind, and you can use Jesus somehow as a crowbar or a a tool, if you will, in your pouch as you experience your personal journey towards oneness with whatever force it is that you're seeking oneness with, whether it be nature or fellow man. Here's what you must embrace. Here's what you must know. It's what we talked about last week and what's what we're going to touch on for just a minute is that we demand of ourselves that we answer the question, who is Jesus? And that we're able to answer that question with all confidence and authority from the word of God. The Bible is the supreme authority on who Jesus is. It's not the only opinion. There are many godly men who have lived, who have preached, who have taught in seminaries and universities that add more light and they have been used by God to point to truth and their basis for their opinion, their basis for their messages and their basis for their thesis papers has been the word of God. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, I cannot depend on any man to give me my picture or my understanding of who Jesus is. I must know who Jesus is and what He is, because thus saith the Lord from Holy Scripture. There is no other authority by which we understand and by which we can answer the question, who is Jesus? 
Can we all come to this place of agreement where we will, will collectively say as a church family that this is the standard we wish to hold ourselves to, that the Word of God define for us who Jesus is? Yes, can we all agree with that? That the Word of God is that, uh, that great place of superiority over every other text, over every other thought and every other man. So what we did on the onset of the message last week, we restated this and we'll keep saying it, But in order for you to have genuine faith, in order for you to be in the kingdom of God, for you to be saved and on your way to heaven, then what you have put your faith and hope and trust in must be the correct Jesus found in Scripture. It cannot be a Jesus that adds bells or trinkets or a Jesus that takes away aspects of who Jesus is to fit your opinion or what makes your flesh be able to justify your belief in this man called Jesus. You must take Jesus at his worth as found in Scripture. There are so many different ideas. There are so many different opinions. There are so many people that are preaching and teaching a false sense of Jesus. They're taking Jesus and they're twisting him. They're taking excerpts of his words and and only focusing on that one aspect of who Christ is. And for us as Bible believers, as people who follow the teachings and the preaching of Jesus Christ, the Bible must be that only Authority to answer the question who Jesus is. There are many different ideas. There are many different things that are being preached in our, our, our day, our age, that is so dangerous. It's so compelling to me. It points to the fact that we are in the last days. We're in that age of itching ears where men will find the preacher or the church where they will hear what they want to hear that requires them not to change, that requires them not to embrace the Jesus as found in the Bible. We're living in those days. Our firm stance on Scripture, our firm stance on the Bible, understand this, is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Eternity weighs in the balance of the Jesus that you find in Holy Scripture. Heaven and hell is described for you in the Bible. The processes of the kingdom of God are found for you in the Bible. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 some very important things about your life and how the kingdom of God works. And all of that is rooted firmly in the Bible. You must embrace the Bible to be the inerrant, infallible, holy, inspired Word of God to have a correct understanding and a correct picture of who Jesus is. You can't have just this portion and leave the rest behind. Jesus is the complete person and He's found within Scripture. Our theme this year, our spiritual theme for our church is unity. It's unity in Christ. That we would have unity as a church family. But for us to be unified together for the work that God's called us to do, to be unified in our heart and our mind and our spirit, to teach and to preach the same things as the New Testament instructs us to. For us to be unified with each other, for us to have that unified message together, then the individuals in the church must be unified with Christ. 
But you cannot be unified with Christ if you do not know who Jesus is as described, as found inside the Bible. You must have Jesus as He's found in Scripture. There are some principles, there are some very daunting things to consume in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Some verses that you must see and some verses you must understand. Some difficult verses. These, are from the mouth, these words are from the mouth of Jesus. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now how are you to find the will of the Father? How are you to find what God wants you to do and who God wants you to be in relation to who He is? The Bible. Why is there such a war? Why is there such aggression against the Word of God and not the Quran? Because the Word of God sets people free. The Word of God is full of truth. And for you, it will answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Go to Scripture. Let's continue in these verses in Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, uh, how devastating this verse is, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I believe with all of my heart that many people from my generation who are even my age will be those people who stand before Jesus that day. And who will say, Jesus, we prophesied in thy name. We did many wonderful works in your name. Uh, Lord, there were a lot of people at that church. There was a big show. There was a lot of money poured into it. It felt good. It sounded good. There were a lot of musicians. There were lights. It kept going. It seemed to always be growing. Uh, it felt good. Lord, didn't we do it in thy name? And Jesus will have to look at them and say, I do not know who you are. Because they do not have a picture of who Jesus is according to Scripture. You cannot take Jesus and make Him what you want Him to be. You cannot take Jesus and strip Him of His divinity. You cannot take Jesus and strip Him of His humanity. You cannot take one single aspect of who Christ is as according to Scripture and come out on the other end and inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus is described for us in Holy Scripture. It's why the Bible is worth living for and dying for. It will answer for you. Who is Jesus? And let me say this to my generation. I've heard some things that cause me great concern and really just give me some heartburn. Jesus is not your bro. Jesus is not your dude, your homie. He is the precious Son of God. He's God. He's holy. You see, the problem is we've lost a sight of who Jesus really is as described by Scripture. Well, God is love. He loves me right where I am. Yes, He does. But He will not leave you the way He found you. There is a Jesus of Scripture we must embrace. And it's who we must believe in for salvation. We're going to really dive deep today on just a few things. We did it last week. And there were four things I gave you last week. I'm going to give you five, six, and seven this week. If you weren't here, if you don't have these in your notes, write these down and, and go back later and study them. 
But this is from John chapter 1, 15 through 18. John chapter 1, 15 through 18. Very quickly, let me give you these four. We answered the question, who is Jesus, four different ways. Number one, see him as the visible image of God. Jesus is the visible image of God. Secondly, see him as the agent of creation. Jesus is the agent of creation. Thirdly, he is the sustainer. He is the sustainer. And fourthly, he is the head of the church. Jesus is so much more than we give him credit for. And it won't be this side of heaven that we're able to understand just who it is he is. But boy, I want to give it my best to understand who it is he is. I want him. I want a deeper understanding of him. I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to know more about him tonight before I go to bed than when I woke up this morning. I want more of him. You see, it's the John 3.30 lifestyle. The more of him I know, the more of him I give up to, to my own flesh and I die daily and I say, Lord, have this part of my life. I want you to be in full control as a living sacrifice. That's the John 3.30. That's where you begin to decrease and what lives on the inside of you, the indwellment of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of Jesus Christ begins to grow in you and it will change everything about you. You know why some folks in a Baptist church who know the truth of God's Word need an attitude adjustment? is because they need to know more about Jesus. You know why some Christians claim Christ but they're unfriendly even to their own people they go to church with? is because they're stagnant in their faith. They're not growing. They don't, they don't have enough knowledge. They need to grow in the grace and the knowledge. You know why people are able to use church as a crutch as they please? And come and go and take and never give is because they don't know how precious this body really is. That we are the bride of Christ. That Christ gave himself for the church, for us. We must have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And so today we will answer again, who is Jesus? I'll give you five, six, and seven to add to this. Now, we're using a form of study and let me just give this to you. It's not to scare you away from this, but it is uh, something for you to consider as you study the Word of God on your own. Uh, the form of study that we're using is Christology. Christology. It's the study of Jesus and His works. It's the study of the person of Jesus and the office work of the Son within the Godhead. Father, Son, and what? Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. This is the study of who the Son is in the Godhead. And then the work of the Son on earth. So we're not only studying His divinity as the Son in the Godhead, but as all man, the perfect man that lived, Jesus Christ on earth. This is Christology. And so Christology will answer for you perfectly who is Jesus. Now, let's go to John chapter 1, go to 19. Go to the 19th verse. This is the witness of John the Baptist, but this is written, this gospel is written by the Apostle John, or John the Beloved. So you've got two Johns here in John 1, John the Apostle writing about the witness of John the Baptist. Don't get confused there. So let's go to verse number 19 and read this together. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And John the Baptist answers, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan. Many of you have been there where John was baptizing. Then the next day, okay, new scene, new set. The next day, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Let the church say amen. amen. Holy Father, add your blessing to the reading of your word. God, use us to teach and to preach this beautiful gospel that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Number five, I want you to see Jesus today very clearly as one who has come and one who is coming. See Jesus today as one who has come and one who will come, who is coming again. John 1.27, notice the principle here. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. John saw him and he said he's coming. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. What we are seeing here is language of someone who knows Jesus very well. This is someone, John the Baptist now. Remember, John the Apostle is giving the witness of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is someone who knows Jesus very personally. He has a great relationship with him. He has personal experiences with him. A personal relationship because he is the cousin of Jesus Christ. John also has the privilege of being the forerunner. John's here for a purpose. It was given to him even before he was born. He was leaping in his mother's womb because he is the forerunner. He's the one that's here to tell us that Jesus is coming. And every man and every woman and every teenager and every person worshiping online, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter what side of town you live on, every single person under the sound of my voice must answer for the fact that Jesus came in the first place. You have to answer for the fact that Jesus came 
in the first place. He was born in Bethlehem. He started his earthly ministry. He healed. He taught. There were miracles. There were so many things that happened. And you have to do something with the fact that Jesus came to earth. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came here. And there's this idea that people can somehow separate themselves from the ideology or the doctrine of the Bible. Well, I refuse to participate in your religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the Son of God. I'm talking about access to the throne room of heaven through and by the great advocate, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You can deny Him now. You can choose not to believe now. But the Bible also teaches that at some point, at some place, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My plea with you, my heart cry for you is for you to consider that Jesus Christ is one who has come. He came. He came to earth and all of his many wonderful works are found within the Bible. But not everything he did is found within the Bible. There are not enough pages. There is not enough ink on earth nor in eternity to pen what all the person of Jesus really is. But John is giving you a prophetic announcement. And, and you see, the day I was born right here in Asheville, North Carolina in March of 1990 in the old mission hospital. That day that I was born... The very day I was born, some would say it was a great day, a great day. The day I was born in that delivery room as Dr. Schutte took me from my mother's womb, there reverberated against the walls in that delivery room the very voice of John the Baptist, the forerunner, saying, Winston, you're lost. Winston, you were born broken. Winston, you have a sin issue and you can't get rid of it on your own. Winston, you'll have to answer for the fact that Jesus came and he bled and he died and in his own power he resurrected himself from death. And you'll have to give an account for the fact that Jesus came. Who is Jesus? He is one who came. But also see him today as one who is coming again. You see, Jesus has always been on some sort of perpetual movement. Sometimes when we think of Jesus or we imagine Christ and who He is and what He does, sometimes we put Him in a stagnant place of no movement. I think upon Him, it's a lofty thought, and there I see Jesus in my heart and in my mind, and He's there in heaven on the throne. And it's a stagnant Jesus oftentimes we paint for ourselves. A Jesus that is there, a Jesus that often hears me when I pray, but he's a Jesus that's stationary. No, Jesus has always been on the move, doing something. He has gone about his father's business, and even to this day, Jesus is on the move, a perpetual movement. John 14, chapter 3, Jesus resurrects himself in power there that third and glorious morning, and then he is with the disciples and the followers for a 40-day period, and then there's the ascension to heaven. And before Jesus goes, he says this, and if I go, he's leaving, 
and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus came, but Jesus did not leave you without hope. He said, hey, I'm leaving, but I've got a plan and I've got a purpose. And I'm going to prepare a place just for you. Imagine what God has been up to for the past 2,200 years preparing you a place when all of eternity, all of creation was done in just a few days. Can you imagine what they've been doing for 2,000 years? Can you imagine the splendor of heaven? 2,000 years of preparation. It took just seven days to make the Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon and the Teton Mountains and all the beauty and splendor of earth. But for 2,200 years, Jesus said, I will go prepare a place. He's one that came. But He is one who is coming. He's not going to spend that much time and that much energy and that much effort preparing and leave it without people to enjoy it with. That's why we are the bride of Christ. And one day soon, He's going to look at His Father. The Father's going to look at Him and He's going to say, yep, it's the time. Blow the trumpet and go get your bride. And I get to leave. I get to go. Jesus is on the move this morning. And you have to answer for both movements. The fact that He came the first time, and then you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus? He's one that's coming again. Are you ready for Him to come? You say, I don't really believe that. It's allegory. It's a good story. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And your eternity may hang in the balance on your answer to this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's one who is coming again. You see, this coming again, I wish so bad we had a date and time. You say, well, no, you don't want to know that. Part of me does. That's just my nature. I wish I could. But nobody knows. If you find a YouTube preacher or a TV preacher or a Twitter preacher or whatever preacher, I don't care if he's Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, it doesn't matter. And that booger looks at you and says, Jesus is coming back on this day at this time. Turn off the channel. Flip to the next available option. Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. You can go on Amazon today for like a dollar and ten cents and you can get you a book called 88 Reasons That Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. Whoops. Missed that one by like three or four decades. Only the Father knows when. But see, He knew how I was. And Jessica, He knew that I would want an itinerary for our trip. He would know. He knew that I wanted to know the plan for what was coming. And let me give this to you. Now listen, this is for those that are in the faith. If you're here today and you're lost, you're not saved, this itinerary don't belong to you. It can belong to you. But this is for those that are in the faith. Uh, Number one on your itinerary is rapture. You're getting out of here well before the tribulation starts. You get out of here before the hand of God completely comes off the earth. Somebody say amen. Amen. You get out of this mess. Number one is rapture on your itinerary. Number two, there is a supper. A marriage 
Supper. You see, I'm the bride of Christ. He is my bridegroom. And he has been preparing. And to celebrate all the preparations that he's made, we're going to have a supper together. A marriage supper. More beautiful than anything you've ever seen. More glorious than anything you can describe on this earth. If you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 37, it gives you a little idea about this supper that we're going to go to. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Part of the benefits package of being in the family of God is that the Son of God Himself who took my place on my cross, not only does He know me, not only does He love me, but He loves me so much that He wants to sit me down to supper in heaven and He wants me to have meat and He wants me to have fellowship and He loves me so much that He's going to put on an apron and gird Himself and serve me, even old wretched me. For those in the faith, we're going to supper. And you better know that you know that you know that your eternity is set in who Jesus is and that you're ready to embrace who He is because He is coming again. It could be before I'm done preaching. Number one, rapture. Number two, we're going to supper. As some say, supper. Number three, the church will be rewarded for every work. We miss this sometimes. We don't pay attention to this enough. But we are rewarded for the labor. We are rewarded for anything we do as assigned in the kingdom. Everything you do for Jesus' sake, God said, I'm keeping such a good record book that I'm going to crown you with glory and splendors beyond anything you can imagine. Not only do I get to go to the supper, but I get to be rewarded for what I got to do. My privilege for the kingdom. It's part of your itinerary. And then fourthly, we will all return with Christ when He comes again to set up His kingdom. Hey, He's coming again. Are you ready? Who is Jesus? He's one that came, but He's one that's coming again. Number six, I want you to see Him clearly and understand that He is the Lamb of God. See Him today as the Lamb of God. You say, Pastor, that seems so simple. I understand the Lamb of God. I get it. I know. You have to remember who it is that John the Baptist is saying this in front of. This is a Jewish audience. They've already said that the Pharisees are there. This second day, there's good indication that the Sadducees are there. The holy men from Jerusalem, the Levites, the priests, they're here. They're listening to what John is saying. And the second day, John says in verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And sometimes we just read that and we blow by it and we don't even realize what's really being said. You have to understand that what John was saying here, these words to call Jesus the Lamb of God, these words would have taken the breath of every single Jew standing in the earshot of what he said. This, these are atomic words that John's just let out of his mouth. The Jew knows what the lamb is for. Well, the lamb is for Passover. Uh, the lamb is slaughtered every day for, for the sins of the people. The lamb is a sacred uh, picture of forgiveness and redemption. 
The lamb was talked about even in the prophet Isaiah, what he said about the lamb going before the slaughter. The Jews know what he's saying about the lamb of God who taketh away the sin. But John's lamb is a different lamb. John's lamb that he saw that day at Bethabara coming over that little rocky hill was the lamb. This was the lamb that would change the economy of redemption forever. Because after that lamb dies, there's no more need for blood sacrifice because the precious blood of God's lamb is going to be shed. And John's saying, there he is. Behold, take heed. Understand, Pharisees and Sadducees, there he is. There's the one you've been waiting on. There is the Lamb of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 gives you more into this idea of Jesus as a Lamb. Who is Jesus? He is the Lamb of God. 1 Peter 1.18 For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers... But what then, Peter, was I redeemed by? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And before you can see the Lamb for who He is, you have to look at the mirror and realize who you are. You don't know how bad you need a sacrifice until you understand just how broken and destitute you really are. Until you gaze into that great gulf that separates you between God and eternity because of your sin and the wage of that sin being death, there's no way for you to quantify just how precious the Lamb is until you look at yourself. I was hopeless. I was broken. And I had no hope. But then that perfect lamb went to Calvary. He got on the cross. They did not hold Jesus down to that cross. He willingly laid his life down. He didn't jump back. He didn't fight. One swing of his arm. He had killed all of Jerusalem. He laid down as a perfect lamb and became my sacrifice. See Jesus today as the lamb of God. But he's your lamb. If you're in the faith today, He's your Lamb. If you're outside the faith today, you're lost and undone. This is your only hope. This is your only hope. It's not in turning over a new leaf. It's not in religion. It's not in lighting candles. It's not being friends with a pastor. It's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lamb of God. You see, this is written here. Remember I told you two Johns, John the Beloved, the Apostle, the Gospel of John. We on that same page? And John the Baptist, his witness that's being recorded by John the Apostle. What do we know about the book of Revelation? Written by who? John. Revelations of John. The Beloved, the Apostle. And you see, John was on an island called Patmos. John was in a dark place. He was in a place of complete and total isolation. There was nobody there with him to comfort him. There would have been little food, little water. We're talking about complete and totally cut off. Completely cut off. God the Holy Ghost allowed John to go into the glories and see things that you and I can't even understand. 
Something for us as believers to hold near and dear. Just a glimpse into the glory of what's to come. And you see, John, as he penned the revelation, there was something familiar about what he saw as he gazed into glory. John, the beloved, would have recognized who he saw looking into the glories. In Revelation 5, as he gazes into glory, verse number 12, John knew who he was looking at. He says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Go to the next verse. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. John saw that same Lamb. He heard the praises of the people Praising that same Lamb, the Lamb who was slain. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Lastly today, as we close, see Him as one who is coming, one who has come. See Him as the Lamb of God. And then lastly, understand very carefully and see Him as the Son of God. Of God. He is the Son of God. John 1.34, the confirmation, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And what John here, he's using the full force of this title. All God and all man, but the Son of God. You see, it's a unique oneness. It's an intimacy with God the Father that the Son has. It's a special relationship within the Godhead. And John's pointing to the fact that he is not only the lamb and the perfect lamb. You see, that lamb cannot go to the cross with one blemish. Think about that. If Jesus is all God and all man, then the humanity of our Lord and Savior had to stay perfect. As blemish-free as he was that day in Bethabara, he would have to arrive in Jerusalem just as spotless, just as clean. Right after his baptism, it says Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost and tempted of the devil by Satan himself for 40 days. Tempted face to face with Satan. He comes out of that 40 days of temptation. He comes out just as blemish free as he went in. He did what you could not do. You see, God's Son, the divinity of our Lord and Savior, was not the aspect or not the person that was tempted that day in the desert, those 40 days in the desert. You cannot tempt God. You can't tempt God. What Satan was working against was the humanity of your Lord, of your Savior, of your Lamb, trying to spoil the plan of heaven, attempting to push back the redemption that was coming. To blemish your lamb. And as the lamb of God and as the son of God, he came out blemish free. And never one time in those moments in his entire ministry 
Did He ever do anything in His humanity to soil, to tarnish, or to harm the divine nature of the Son of God? See Jesus today as the Son of God. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand why do these Jews that are here, why can they not see Him for who He is? The New Testament bears record, the the man with a withered hand, they saw his hand made whole. The man at the gate called beautiful. When John and Peter come through, they knew that this was a special person. They knew that there was something about Jesus. There was something inside of them that hated him because he was not what they wanted. See, the Jews were looking for three things. They were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah in their terms. They wanted the Messiah. And He was standing in front of them with a prophetic forerunner, and yet they missed it. And you can go to church all of your life and sit in a blue chair and sing in a choir and give tithe money, and if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Jesus can be standing right in front of you. The truth so evident and you just miss it because it doesn't come in the package that you thought it would come. God will give you what you want, but you'll have to leave everything that He has for you. He was their Messiah. But just because He wasn't what they wanted, they would refuse Him. They would despise Him. They would reject Him. And they would conspire to kill Him. Not only did they want a Messiah, but they wanted a messenger. They wanted someone that came in the spirit of Moses or Elijah or in the tradition of David or Daniel. They were thirsty for their messenger to come and to preach better than anyone had ever preached. To teach better than anyone could ever teach. To uphold the law in a way that hardly anyone has ever done. But because he was not one who came in the spirit necessarily of Elijah, in the same way as David or Daniel, They rejected the messenger. And Jesus was not just one who came after Elijah, not just one who came after David and Daniel. He was one that was before David and Daniel and Elijah, and he already always had been. And they rejected him. Their messenger was right in front of them, and they couldn't see it. Then lastly, they wanted a monarch. They wanted that king. They wanted Him to be powerful and mighty. They wanted Him to be strong in military stature. Break the back of Rome. Expel them from our land. Cleanse Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem of the Romans. And set up this eternal kingdom throbbing with power and might. And do it our way. And then we'll concede that you're our Messiah, our messenger And our monarch. They missed it. Instead of loving him and worshiping him. And falling to his feet and kissing them. For every year of ministry he had. They conspired to kill him. They hated him. And they rejected him. And they had the physical manifestation of the son of God. Right in front of them. Many will say in that day, Lord, I know you. God is love. And and you love me. If you love me, obey my commandments. 
If you love me, then obey the will of the Father. If you know me, then obey everything that I said in my word. Know who Jesus is and be able to answer who is Jesus from the word of God and have it closely hid in your heart so that at any point at any time, someone asks you, what is it about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? That through the word of God, through the grace and the mercy of God, the knowledge of Jesus, you can share and even you can answer who is Jesus.